And I invite you to open in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Acts 13, 13. And as you do that, I just want to reiterate what, what uh, Will said earlier about inviting you to join us this afternoon at 2 o'clock at our church offices for our uh, membership class. You may be thinking to yourself, well, I'm still kind of visiting. I'm not sure what that is. I don't even know what church membership looks like. Is it like membership to a country club? It's not that at all. And in fact, that probably says you ought to come and, and find out what does church membership mean? What does that look like? And why are we so uh, intent on pursuing that together to live on the mission of Jesus? So if you don't know where the church office is, come find me. We'll be able to help you find that. Uh, we would love to have you here today. And I think my wife even baked chocolate chip cookies uh, to share. So there's a little bit of enticement. Matt Rumbaugh, you're already a member. You can't come. Uh, I know he loves chocolate chip cookies. Actually, you can come, Matt. I, I want you there. But uh, anyway, Acts chapter 13 Verses 13 through 52. And we're going to trust that the Spirit's going to open our eyes as we read this together. Follow along as I read out loud. It says this, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God had promised to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. No, but behold, after me is one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who uh, fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not, not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was, was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that, no, uh, that you will not believe, even if one tells you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. 
The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as, as, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went on to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. We're in a series right now called Danger Ahead. And we've seen Paul and Barnabas, they were set aside by the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, along with several others we see, to go out and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ well beyond Judea, well beyond the places where it was safe to kind of be a Jew who also followed Jesus. They were going out to areas where Jews and Gentiles lived together. And in fact, the area they were going to was the Gentile world. A, a, a world that had a totally different worldview, a, a world that included many pagan temples and places where they felt like this truth that we're speaking, this good news of Jesus, is going to face a lot of opposition. And so we're seeing that throughout all this, that living scent means that you've got to live knowing that there will be danger ahead. Our mission here at Fairfax Bible Church is this. It's to glorify God by making disciples of all nations as we live in loving community. And, and we summarize that each and every single Sunday. If you've worshiped with us, you know we end each and every single Sunday with this, this charge to you and to me and to all of us to love Christ and live sent. But if you've sought to do that faithfully in loyalty and allegiance to King Jesus, you've found that living sent sometimes means that there's danger ahead. And this morning we see that Paul and Barnabas find some danger. And that danger, it doesn't come necessarily from physical threats, though perhaps that was coming uh, if they had stayed in the city much longer. But we find that these, these threats, this danger comes in the, verb of, in the form of verbal threats, reviling, contradiction, hatred, and opposition. Now, you may think to yourself, but, but why? You know, maybe you've been in that moment where you thought, I want to share the best news that I've ever heard. This is glorious news of the gospel, but you're not sure how it's going to be received. Uh, many years ago, when uh, even before our daughter Alethea was born, our boys were very, very small, and we won this like little contest. We weren't the only ones that won. There was a group of people, but we, we got like this golden ticket type of thing where we could go into Disneyland Park a little bit early and ride a ride that no one else had ever run before, uh, 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 gone on before. It was, a, it was a Toy Story ride, and we were so excited. And we thought, my wife and I, Laura, we thought, let's not tell our kids. Let's just put them in the car. They're young enough to not understand what's going on. And we're going to drive down there, and we'll have one of those moments that we see on the commercials, Right? You've seen it, right? And, and you, these parents are so excited and they surprise their kids saying, we're going to Disneyland or Disney World or something. Like, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to have this moment and it's just going to be a ball. And so we told them, they're like, mom, dad, where are we going? They're very little. And we drove, we lived about 400 miles away. So it was a long drive, right? And they did a great job because they were fueled by this. They were fueled to obey mom and dad because they knew there's a surprise coming. They were so excited, there's a surprise coming. And we got down there, and it was late at night when we got there. We put them in bed in the hotel, but we were staying right across the street. The next morning, we wake up, and we take them uh, to, to get breakfast. And they're like, okay, Mom and Dad, what's the surprise? And we said, guys, right across the street is Disneyland, and we're going to ride a special ride that no one's ever been on before. Are you excited? Our boys broke down and wept and shouted and my wife and I looked at each other, and we were mortified. Are you kidding me? The commercials are a total farce. It's a lie. What's going on here? 
Well, in our son's minds, we realized after a few moments, for them, surprise meant like a new toy, something they could play with. And so I think they probably thought we drove all this way because we were like getting them like, a, 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 like an Air Force jet or something. I don't know. I don't know what they thought in their minds they were going to get. But when they realized that what they thought in their heads was not going to match their experience, they broke down and cried. Now, I will tell you, we had a great time that day and it was a ball. We did have some really great family moments. But in that moment, it wasn't what I expected and what my wife expected. We thought that there would be rejoicing, but in that moment there was weeping and gnashing of teeth and they were upset because they didn't understand exactly what we were offering to them. And you may have felt that. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is precious. It's wonderful. And you want to present that and then you feel it that the person that's hearing this call to obey and embrace Jesus is met not with joy, but with reviling. And that's our big idea this morning. Our big idea this, is this from Acts 13. The gospel draws out both reviling and rejoicing. The gospel presentation, the good news of Jesus Christ, as it's spoken to people who need this good news, it's not unanimously accepted. It's received with both reviling and rejoicing. And as we apply it to ourselves, as we'll see, as we present the good news, the message of eternal life through Jesus to our ones, the ones that we love so much that need this good news, sometimes it's received with reviling but other times it can be received with rejoicing. That's the message today. We're going to see it three ways. First of all, we're going to see that the gospel applies impartially to all. The gospel applies impartially to all. Secondly, we'll see the gospel incites reviling from some. And thirdly, the gospel inspires rejoicing in others. Let's take a look at the first point here. The gospel applies impartially to all. Chapter 13, verses 13 to 43. And, and here, Paul and Barnabas, they enter into this town, into Antioch of Pisidia. It's not the same Antioch that they came from. There's two Antiochs. They're in a different Antioch, much farther north than where they came from. And, and they, they're given this opportunity because in the synagogue, much like we experience here in our gatherings, there's a proclamation or a reading of scripture. And so now they invite Paul and Barnabas. They knew that they came in from out of town. These are Jewish guys that, that have come uh, from a long journey. And they say, hey, tell us something. We want to hear what a word of encouragement that you have to share. And, and Paul seizes the moment. Paul seizes the moment. And this is what he says in verse 16. He says, men of Israel and you who fear God. Well, who's that? That's Gentiles. Gentiles that are hanging out in here because they see there's something about the truth of who these Jewish people are following. They follow this, this Lord, this Yahweh, this one that they've been serving for thousands of years. And there's some bit of truth that we see about that. So they've converted their lives over to be followers of the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Paul is addressing them. He's addressing both Jews and he's addressing both Gentiles as well. But you got to understand, Paul wasn't out on the streets. He wasn't just preaching out in places where you typically think, well, Jesus, these people need Jesus over here. He was preaching almost to the choir. He was preaching to a group of people that were within the religious institution. He wasn't at a pagan temple. He wasn't at a brothel. He was at the religious institution. Friends, we must see the gospel is impartial. Every single person needs it. Those that have grown up in the church and those have grown outside the church all people need the gospel, and the gospel is given impartially to all. Praise be to God. What was Paul's message, though? Now, we can look at his message, and, and it's a long message. We're not going to spend a lot of time there. Why? Because we've already spent some time in a message just like this, all the way back in Acts chapter 2. Peter, the, another apostle, he delivers another message just like this on the day of Pentecost. Peter is, he's given the Holy Spirit, and, and his friends, the apostles, they're speaking in languages, human languages that they never learned before, so that people from all over the world that are in Jerusalem at that time can hear the gospel in their language. And what does Peter do? Peter shares the good news about Jesus Christ. And I think Luke wants us to see that the same message that was preached by Paul to the Jews is the same message uh, that Peter preached to the Jews, the same message that Paul is going to preach 
to Jews and Gentiles and to the whole world. The same gospel message. Friends, we have to know this. To love our Jewish friends, we must understand they need to receive Jesus, the Messiah. They're saved the same way anybody else is. Jew and Gentile all over the globe alike need to recognize that Jesus is Savior and Lord. So, so what, is, uh, what is Paul's message? We see several things here from Paul's message. First of all, it's rooted in the Scriptures, specifically what we would call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Well, what does he say from the Scriptures? He says, well, this salvation, this gospel message, it was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This gospel message, it was foreshadowed in God's deliverance of Israel as they were slaves in Egypt and he brought them out by a powerful, mighty, strong arm. That was just a foretaste of God's future salvation that would come in Jesus. Well, not only that, but this gospel message is also focused on King David's royal lineage. And, and God describes David as a man after God's own heart after his heart. And he says, from David's line, from his kingly line, I'm going to send my Messiah, my Savior. And not only that, but it was foretold by the prophets then, culminating in the arrival of John the Baptist who preceded Jesus. You see, friends, this isn't something that, that Paul is standing there and the apostles just made up one day. Sometimes you may have encountered conversations with your friends and family. This Christianity, this is just something that was made up by the Western world. As the church kind of got together and had some councils and they developed these creeds and that's where the Christian faith came from. No, friends, it goes all the way back to the preaching of the followers of Jesus, the first followers of Jesus. And it's rooted all the way back to how God has been promising he would work from the beginning of time. Not only is it foretold by the prophets, but it's contrasted with the law of Moses. You see, the Israelites thought for a season that, hey, we could be right before God if we just obey all of God's commands. And so they thought that if they tried really, really hard, that God would accept them. But the harder they tried, the, the more they realized that God's law delivered through Moses just pulled them farther and farther away from God because they saw how deeply sinful they were. And so Paul's message is this. This good news message of Jesus the Messiah has been around for a long time. And so what I'm telling you today is something that you should already be anticipating. That Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. And so we see not only is this message rooted in Scripture, it's centered on Jesus what does Paul say about Jesus? Well, he declares Jesus' innocence, that it was Jesus uh, was tried and he was condemned, though he had never sinned. And not only that, but, but he didn't just die as like a helpless martyr, but that his death was purposeful. Jesus willingly gave himself up for the purpose of rescuing his people from their sins. This message was centered on Jesus but as we've been talking about and singing about this morning, this Jesus didn't say dead. He rose from the dead and he appeared to many, many friends so that there were hundreds of eyewitnesses who saw Jesus alive and that this resurrection, this gospel message focused on Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. He quotes Psalm 2. He quotes Isaiah 55. He quotes Psalm 16 and says that David's, David was, David's son was not supposed to see corruption, yet there's David. He's in the grave, and everybody who came after him is in the grave except one, Jesus the Messiah, who fulfills all of God's promises. Well, this gospel message is rooted in Scripture. It's centered on Jesus, and it calls for a response. In verses 40 to 41, he says this, Beware, therefore... Understand this, you have a lot of knowledge about this good news plan and Jesus has come, but beware lest what is said in the prophets, Habakkuk 1.5 specifically, should come about, that you would hear it and that you would see it, but that you'd be blind to it and that you'd reject it, and that you wouldn't believe it. And so Paul comes in knowing the danger that's ahead. He says, I'm going to give the gospel to you. This gospel is impartial. It's for all humanity. But be aware that if you reject this message, you still sit under God's wrath and under his judgment. So this gospel message, it's, it's impartial. It's for all the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all. Why? Because all are in need of salvation. Verses 38 and 39, he says this, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. 
This is not a popular message to share with our friends. This may actually be where one of the points of tension are as we face that danger ahead as we share the good news that every single person that wants to enjoy eternal life must recognize that they're a sinner. They're a sinner. That's hard. That's hard for me to confess. That's hard for me to reveal to you. Matthew, Pastor Matthew is a sinner. I'm a sinner. I was born that way. You're a sinner too. The ones that you've been praying for, that we were praying for back in March, they're sinners. They need to receive forgiveness for sins. But the good news of the gospel is that forgiveness of sins is available through Jesus Christ. You see, the solution to sin isn't to ignore it or to relabel it or to call it something else or just to sweep it under the rug. No, it's to say it needs to be faced head on and the one who faced it head on is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who gives us forgiveness of sins. And this forgiveness is impartial to all who repent and believe the good news. I love what Paul says, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed. You cannot free yourself no matter how hard you try. Only Jesus can do that. And so we see that this, this good news message, it's, it's impartial. It's being spoken to Jews and Gentiles. It's not just for people in pagan temples and in brothels. It's for people even in religious institutions. They need the good news. And what was the response initially after meeting in the synagogue? Verse 43, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. They were hanging on their words. Come, tell us more next Sabbath. We can't wait to hear this good news message. Friends, courageous evangelism means that followers of Jesus, you and me, we herald the good news to all, to those who seem receptive and those who do not. Why? Because all people are sinners. Why? Because Jesus is the only way to be rescued from our sin. Acts 4.12, Peter said before in, in, in this book, there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This takes a lot of courage because it confronts us right between the eyes of who we are as sinners, but it also confronts us because it says you cannot free yourself you must believe the good news about Jesus. But praise be to God that it's impartial. Many years ago, I had a good friend uh, from high school and college, actually. He used to actually tease me on the baseball team. He was a senior and I was a freshman. But later on, we became friends. Uh, and so uh, we both were just excuse me, wanted to be faithful followers of Jesus. And we were reading some books and some curriculum that talked about like, like being really bold in evangelism. And it made me really uncomfortable. And so he's like, hey, I actually want to try this out. Will you come with me? And I said, okay. Uh, and I knew it was being obedient, but gosh, just the method was really hard. And so we went to our local uh, shopping mall in Northern California in the San Francisco Bay Area. And we decided that we would just stand in the middle of the mall and just strike up random conversations with people. And we would say, hey, can I have a spiritual conversation with you? Now, we've got some really courageous people in, in this room that do this with our crew ministry. And I just love it so much. They do this on our college campuses. And it's just absolutely awesome. But it's hard to start that conversation. A lot of times they'll do it with a Starbucks card. I just did it and said, hey, well, can I just interrupt your day? Like it, it wasn't very strategic. It wasn't very smart. But we tried to do this. And after a few times where people just wouldn't give me the time of day, or once they knew that I wanted to talk with them about something spiritual about Jesus, they would kind of laugh at me and revile me. They, they wouldn't want to talk to me. And so I, I became kind of partial and I started to whittle it down. And I'd kind of try and say, okay, like maybe, maybe they would want to have a conversation. No, 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 no. Maybe, maybe they want to have a conversation. No, 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 no. Uh, they, well, they're smiling. They're laughing. They're in a good mood. Maybe they want to have a conversation. Oh, no, no, they're laughing about something else, and I would just interrupt them. I just came up with excuse after excuse after excuse. After a few times I went with my friend, I, I, it kept to the point where I would stand there for hours and make excuse after excuse where I would never have a conversation with people. I believe that in that moment, while I'm not totally behind that strategy for gospelizing people and sharing the good news with them, I realized I became very partial. I realized that I started to think to myself, there are some who I, I can discern who are going to receive the good news and other that won't. You know, these people, they, they really need it, right? Maybe I'd stop a teenager, but I, I wouldn't stop like a, a nice older gentleman that's there with his spouse, and they're just doing some nice shopping together. I'm going to go after the people that really need it, but that's even the scariest part, right? Maybe you've been there. 
Maybe you're thinking about living sin. Well, God wants to call me to the people that, that want to be saved. Or maybe the people that are the worst of sinners. Or maybe the people that really aren't that sinful at all. The easy ones. Lord, you toss a softball up to me. I'd love to just knock it out of the park. Friends, our gospel that we proclaim is impartial. It's for all. Every single person is a sinner who's in need of the grace of Jesus. If you're a parent in the room, you know that one of the worst things you could do to your kids is to show favoritism in your family. It's so destructive, but it's, yet it's so hard to strike that balance, right? My wife and I, have, and I have had those conversations, you know, okay, so so-and-so did this on their last birthday, and so we got to make sure that the next, you know, sibling, their birthday is equal into what they experienced. Or, you know, Christmas Eve night, and we kind of look under the tree, it's like, okay, we got a few presents for each, but ooh. This one got actually a few more than this one, and you start to feel that pressure of playing favorites, right? Friends, we've got a loving, heavenly Father who's perfect. And he says, no matter how far or how close you may be to the religious institution or to obeying my commands, every single one of you needs the gospel. And when you wake up and you look underneath that Christmas tree, the free gift of eternal life is offered to all. All without exception, if you'd recognize your sin and embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can receive that good news. That is the hope that we have as we live sent, as we live on mission, that our God, our perfect Father, He doesn't play favorites, but He has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Praise be to God. So much hope. Well, not only is the, the gospel impartial to all, but secondly, the gospel incites reviling from some. The gospel incites reviling from some. We see an amazing response in verse 44. It says, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But... When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul and reviling him. Who are the Jews here? Well, they're the religious leaders of the synagogue, the leaders of the synagogue. Here's what happened. They didn't, they didn't disagree with Paul and Barnabas the week prior. They heard it. They're like, hmm, that's something I, I ought to consider, that, that maybe this Jesus who you speak of, maybe he is really the promised Messiah. But their attitude changed. What happened? Was it an intellectual change? Was it something they discovered in the scriptures from Sabbath to Sabbath and said, oh, no, no, this can't be true? No, what happened? They changed their tone and their attitude toward Paul and Barnabas when? When they saw that all these crowds were taking their eyes off of them as the religious leaders and were now listening to Paul and Barnabas and the message of the good, of the good news. What does it say about these leaders? That they were filled with jealousy. They were filled with zeal and rivalry. And envy is the word. Now we've seen religious leaders also in Acts chapter 5 when the good news was preached by Peter and the other apostles. The same response. Jealousy. Envy. Rivalry. Self-righteousness. They had no issue with the facts of the gospel. What they hated was the effects of the gospel. The call of the gospel to surrender control and authority to Jesus. This is the danger of religion. The danger of religion is the, the lie that we believe that we can actually have control of our lives and follow all of the rules and all, follow all of the recommendations and follow all of the prescriptions and think to yourselves, I'm in control and I am worthy. But in this moment, they realized they didn't have any control. And that really true authority belonged to King Jesus and it incited jealousy within them. So what did they do? Verse 40, 45 says they began to contradict, to speak in opposition, to oppose what was spoken by Paul. And they reviled Paul. They reviled him. They slandered him. They defamed him. They blasphemed, really is the word there, of Paul. They blasphemed Paul. This means to speak against someone in such a way as to harm or hinder, injure his or her reputation. Friends, that is dangerous. 
That's dangerous to know that if I proclaim good news, that my reputation may be injured by the one who hears the good news of Jesus. For some of us, this is actually the greatest danger that we could ever envision, right? You can take away a lot, but just don't take away. I have a reputation here. Don't you know all the hard work that I've done, all the studying I've done, how I've climbed that corporate ladder? Now if I open my mouth, it could injure my reputation for Jesus. It could injure my reputation for myself, excuse me. Following Jesus, proclaiming Jesus could injure my reputation. Some of us, that's the greatest danger we could envision, that our reputations would become harmed or injured. In fact, a good, rep, a good reputation is a good thing. Proverbs 22, one says, a good name is to be chosen rather than riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Let's not, let's not joke around about this. A reputation is really serious. But when it comes to our reputation and the reputation of Jesus, Jesus is saying, you've got to make my reputation more important than anything. You've got to be willing to speak up in the moment when allegiance to me or allegiance to your own reputation is put to the test. So Paul, his name, his words, his reputation was dragged through the mud. And these Jews, these Jewish leaders, they stirred up the city through more slandering and denying the truth of the gospel. They created a whole crowd and rabble that, that rose up against Paul and Barnabas, we see in verses 50 and 51, caused a lot of problems for them so that they eventually had to leave this is good news that he offered. Eternal life that he offered. And yet in this moment, when these leaders saw that their authority and their control was going away, they met Paul's message, the message of the gospel, with reviling. These leaders hated Paul's message, not because they disagreed, but because they were jealous. This is the dangerous resistance to the gospel. And this is what it always boils down to, friends. Because I know we, we may face many different kinds of, you know, rebuttals and many different kinds of cases to be made why someone wouldn't believe the gospel. But when it, when it boils down to it, it boils down to this for every single one of us. Anybody who rejects it is that our hearts are hard. Our hearts are arrogant. Our hearts are self-centered and they can take the most precious and glorious news on the planet could trample it like dirt, not because it doesn't make sense, but because we don't want to bow to King Jesus. Many years ago, I was a kid growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, as you probably know, I've said it many times, but I lived in Sonoma County wine country, and I'll never forget my, my dad's stepdad, uh, Frank, uh, he's an Italian man, grew up in the Ohio uh, Valley, eastern Ohio, uh, he, he came out to visit us, and my mom and dad, they just, they love to be able to share just the beauty and just some of the things that are really cool about the culture there in, in the wine country, and they thought, my, my dad thought, oh, I'll take my mom and my stepdad to go see Corbell, right? It's like one of the finest champagnes in the country. In fact, like presidents, 10 inauguration parties have used Corbell champagne, right, to celebrate, and so my dad brought my, my grandmother and my step-grandfather, and they were there, and I'll never forget it, the shock on my dad's face, because my step-grandfather took a sip of that Corbell champagne, and he threw it back at the server, and he said, oh, that's garbage, oh, that's garbage, it's garbage, uh, and now, I, I, don't want, I don't want to paint my grandfather in such a terrible light, but, but he didn't realize what was going on here. He didn't realize what he was saying. He was so proud of where he came from that he didn't want to admit that this, this was like probably the best champagne he would ever put to his lips, right? He couldn't understand how precious this really was, and he threw it off to the side, and he said, oh, that's just garbage. Friends, this is the issue why the gospel brings reviling and hatred. It's not because of the facts it's because of the demand. It's because of our pride. It's because of our arrogance. Now think about the demand of the gospel. Is it a, a hard and, and really taxing demand? No, it's a gracious demand. It's a, a, demand, a demand to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Not Hitler is Lord or Stalin is Lord or Satan is Lord, but Jesus is Lord. That's the demand of the gospel. We love the idea of Jesus and all he says and all he does and his miracles and his kind teachings, but we resist, our human hearts resist the gospel when it shows us that we can't be in control of our lives any longer and then it must belong to another and not ourselves. So we become jealous. We become jealous of our control. We become envious. 
We become hateful, even irrational, and we're even willing to blaspheme. But it's this very calling to give up the authority and the control of our lives from ourselves and give it to Jesus, this gracious Savior. See, we rebelled way back in the garden, our lives hidden in Adam and Eve. We rebelled in the garden. We told God that we could take care of our own selves and decide on our own without his rule. And it plunged us into death, into murder, into wars, into fighting, into racism, into rebellion, into heartache. Where has our autonomy taken us? It's taken us to death. What does Jesus offer? He offers us life. But we won't have it. We revile this precious, precious truth and we throw it to the side and say, it's garbage because we won't give up control. We take the sweetest message of the gospel and we spit it out. This is why the gospel incites reviling, not because Jesus isn't precious, but because we want the power. And this is why we pray for our ones. And I've been referring to that a lot today. If you've just joined us in the last few weeks or months, back in March, we spent 30 days praying for at least one person that every follower of Jesus knows that they may hear the good news and come to faith in Jesus and receive this eternal life. We share the good news of grace and love and gentleness of Jesus in the gospel with our ones. But because we want our ones to see Jesus as the kindest and most gracious king we could ever serve, And he orders our lives in such a way that brings us peace and love and hope and goodness and beauty to our lives. It's it's not just prosperity, though, but it's also suffering. You see, Jesus gives meaning even to all aspects of our lives, even the parts that suffer, because he's a good and gracious and kind king. In fact, he's the best king. And so followers of Jesus, we herald this king, and we live obediently under his rule. And even then, it still incites reviling. It still incites jealousy and anger. Some, you probably experienced, you're ones that you've been praying for. You, you present this good news message and they take a sip and they spit it out and say, that's just garbage. I don't want to have anything to do with it. If you've been there and I've been there, it breaks our hearts. Why don't we go into this danger? Why do we continue to share this good news? Because for some, it incites reviling. But our third and final point is this. Not only does it uh, incite reviling, the gospel inspires rejoicing in others. It inspires rejoicing in others. Look at this verses 47 to 48 after Paul says, I'm not speaking to you guys anymore because we've been sent to the Gentiles. I'm sending this gospel to them. And it was promised that it would go to the Gentiles all the way back in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament. And it says in verse 47, so the Lord has commanded us, Paul speaking, I've made you a life for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation, not just to the Jews, but to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believe. Friends, this is why we continue to go into the danger because there will be many who sip it and spit it out and say garbage, but there are many who sip it and say, oh, this is what I've been waiting for and I rejoice in this good news. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. This message that tasted sour to those jealous for control was sweet to the lips of these Gentiles. And it says in verses 48 to 49, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. This word there, appoint, means to cause to be placed or arranged or directed, or put in order. You see, God was at work in the midst of the, God, of the apostles preaching the good news. God was arranging, directing, and he had put in order among all who heard the message that these Gentiles would inherit eternal life. And since they were appointed, since they were chosen, since they were arranged by God, by his grace, he says, no, 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 I'm not letting these go. These are my chosen children. They believed the good news and they were saved. Praise God. God for his work. You see, friends, when people accept Jesus, it's God's work. 
Yes, people must believe, people must choose, people must repent, but we must see behind all of this, it is God who gets the glory because he allows people to come and receive the good news of Jesus. It's God's work. He chooses, he calls, he appoints, he arranges, God directs what a precious gift from God the belief in the gospel is. That's why we sing amazing grace around here. Because it is amazing grace. Not that Jesus would just die on the cross for our sins and rise from the dead. But even that message, if it weren't for God's work in my life, I'd sip that and I'd spit it out and say garbage. But he says, I want Matthew to be in my family. And I've appointed him to receive eternal life so that when I hear that, I say, yes. Yes, Lord. I rejoice. I taste it and see that the Lord is good we could be tempted to be arrogant about our standing before God and, and our acceptance of eternal life. We could look at others and say, oh, how foolish that they would reject it. What's wrong with them? And we think that we deserve a pat on the back for recognizing the beauty of Jesus on our own. No, no, friends. The Bible teaches that we believe because we are appointed to eternal life by God's great grace. And now you may think to yourself, then why share if it's all up to God? No, friends, it's the opposite. This gives us courage to share. This gives us courage to share, to know that when I speak the good news of Jesus, if Jesus is appointed this one to whom I'm speaking right now, they can believe the good news and be saved. In fact, they will believe the good news and be saved. This gives us courage to face the danger. That gives us courage to face the reviling. Yeah, there are many who revile, but God has appointed many to eternal life. And when they hear the gospel message, they believed. And what I love here is that this rejoicing, this worship service that breaks out amongst the Gentiles, it goes beyond the walls. You can imagine them just going out and going, Woo! I can't believe this. Uh, we used to be a people who were far away from God. And now this guy, Paul and Barnabas, they come from out of town and they show us what's true about the scriptures, that I don't have to be Jewish to come to God, that it only is found in Jesus Christ alone, this Messiah that we've been hearing about that was supposed to come, he's here. And now I get brought into the family of God. Man, I want to clap about this. This deserves some rejoicing. This deserves some excitement. And you know what? It probably got a little rowdy. It probably got a little loud, and people that are watching are probably hearing this and going, hey, what's going on with this? And the word of the Lord spread. Why? Because there were some believers who were rejoicing in Jesus. That's one of the best testimonies that you could give for the gospel of Jesus, is that you rejoice that you are a child of God. You rejoice that you are appointed to receive eternal life. Friends, if we're silent in worship, the world will never see that Jesus is sweet and precious and glorious in this world. But when we open our mouths in courage, yeah, we may get some reviling, but there might be some out there that hear us and say, I want it too. I want it too. I want to receive the good news of Jesus. Later on, Paul writes to his friends at the church of Corinth. He says this in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16. He says this, Thanks be to God, whom Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now listen to this. He says, For we are the aroma of Christ, okay, as, as we speak, we're the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. Yes! And to other, or excuse me, no, that's terrible. And to another, a fragrance from life to life. There are some that will taste or smell that scent and say, oh, that's disgusting. There are others that will smell it and say, oh, that's glorious. We have a debate in our family over something really stupid. Pickles. Pickles. Anybody like pickles? Anybody hate pickles? Okay, so our family's kind of split down the middle. My wife, if, you, if she orders a sandwich, she says no pickles, and there's a pickle on the side of the plate and it's touching her sandwich, she might be tempted to send it back. She just cannot stand pickles. What's interesting, though, is our daughter loves pickles. She's like, I'll take it, Mom. She loves pickles. I love pickles. And so our family's split kind of down the middle, Friends, this, this gospel of Jesus is so much more precious than a pickle, right? Right? But yet it can be divisive, can't it? From, for some, it's, it's, a, it's an aroma of from death to death. Oh, it smells putrid. I don't want to have anything to do with it. But for others, they say, oh, 
That's the sweetest smell I've ever smelled in my life. It's like fresh, fresh baked bread. It's like bacon. It's like Thanksgiving turkey. It's like that first fresh pot of coffee in the morning. It's like cinnamon rolls as you're walking through the mall, right? Friends, I hope you find, and it's almost lunchtime, you're getting excited. I hope you have found that when you smell and taste and see Jesus, you see him as precious that you savor Jesus, that you enjoy Jesus, that you wouldn't spit Jesus out to the ground. I, I love one of the, the great hymns of, 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 I believe it was Charles Wesley. Amazing love. There's a verse in that, that, that song that goes like this. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. But thine eye, God's eye, diffused a quickening ray. I, I, I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose and I went forth and I followed thee. Friends, I hope that you've seen and tasted that moment where God speaks life into death. He speaks light into darkness. He speaks sweet into the sour of this world. And he says, I want to give you life. I want to give you good news. That's the courage that we can have as we proclaim good news. It incites reviling from some, but it inspires rejoicing in others. Have you found Jesus to be sweet have you found him to be the most wonderful thing you've ever experienced in your life? That's what happened here. The gospel, it drew both reviling and rejoicing. But what does this mean for Monday? What does that mean for us as I go out into this dangerous world and continue to proclaim good news to my one? Well, well, first of all, I want to ask you, are you still praying for your one? <laughs> now, we heard many stories of God drawing people closer through conversations and, and open doors and opportunities. It was awesome. I mean, I, some of you were sharing stories with me like, man, I, Pastor, man, I've been praying for people for, for so long, but now as I've been praying, I've just been seeing the Lord's been cracking the door open, and I'm having opportunities to share in ways that I never thought before. But your experience may be different. You may have found that during that season of prayer, your one grew harder in their heart. Maybe they became more resistant to the message of the good news of Jesus. You might see that your one is resistant, jealous, envious, contradictory, and maybe even they've reviled Jesus, and maybe they've reviled you because of your stand for Jesus and sharing the good news. Friends, you could take heart today. Jesus stands with you. He knows what it means to be reviled. He understands what it means to be blasphemed. Don't give up. While the gospel may be inciting, reviling in your one, there may be another one that's close by in whom the gospel will inspire rejoicing. Don't stop speaking. God has appointed some to eternal life. And it may not be your one, though keep praying that it is. Maybe it's the one that's next to your one, that through your message and through your rejoicing, they hear it and they say, ooh, ooh, that's, that, that resounds with me. Tell me more. Don't give up. Who it is that would be saved and receive the gospel and who wouldn't, it's, it's a mystery. We don't know, but we, we go and remain faithful to sharing good news. We think we know who ought to be saved, but God knows best. He's not wasting your witness today. Keep savoring Jesus. Keep rejoicing in your eternal life. Keep reflecting the grace of his rule in your life. And while some revile, others will rejoice. And I want to invite the worship team to come up because we need to close here today. But, but as they do, I, and as I close in prayer, I just want to ask for some of you, you may have showed up here today as one who hears the gospel message, yet deep down you know that your resistance to the message, it's, it's not intellectual, it's willful. You've been resisting the call of Jesus because you like being your own boss. I, I liked it for a while too. And there are days that I still feel like I want to be my own boss until I repent. But you know that it's not worked out well for you, but, but you're holding out hope that you'll figure it out soon and maybe things will work out in the end. Sooner and later, it will get better. Friend, this is the great lie that Satan wants you to believe. That your life is better off on your own. 
that you know what's best and that you can rule your life. But Jesus knows what's, what it means to be reviled. You may have reviled him and he says, I still love you. See, that's, that's the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus loves his enemies. Loves enemies like us. Even those that revile him, he says, I still love you. You know that you can't rule your life. In fact, Jesus has experienced all of that reviling for you and us. He offers you rejoicing today if you would just receive eternal life. Today, he can turn you into one who reviles and to one who rejoices if you would call upon his name. Taste him and see, yes, Lord Jesus, I give up control and I find that you are sweet. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you've given us the best, most precious, the sweetest, most glorious news that we can ever receive, that Jesus is Lord and that he gives us eternal life through faith in his name. But Lord, we go into dangerous spaces and there are times that we want to share impartially, but we see there are those that just hate the message of the good news and they revile us and they revile Jesus. And it's hard. Give us endurance in the midst of the reviling to continue to share graciously and gently the good news about Jesus. But Lord, as we do, we trust there are some out there that you've appointed to eternal life that when they hear that message, they're going to rejoice. So keep our eyes fixed on those moments that we could find those people that you are calling us to to say, hey, Jesus loves you. And they say, yes, I receive him as Lord. Give us great endurance, even with danger ahead. And Lord, for the one that's here today that, that is recognizing, I, I don't have any more excuses. I, I, intellectually, I, I can't deny that Jesus is real, that, that he is the son of God, that he did what he said he would do and that he died and rose from the dead. I, I just can't get over this. I don't want to give up control of my life. Lord, for that one today, I, I pray that you would allow them to see that being their own boss has only led to death and strife and, and hurt and pain and brokenness, but that Jesus offers something better. They can lay down the lordship of their own lives and say, I confess Jesus is Savior and Lord, and I receive eternal life. Friend, if that's you today, we want you to do that. Please don't leave today without talking with one of us. We would love to pray with you. We would love to talk with you. We want to help you see that Jesus is sweet, that you could say with the psalmist, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We love you, Lord. For those who know your name and put their trust in you, we confess to you today, we declare, Lord Jesus, you are sweet. Tell them right now, Lord Jesus, you are sweet. You are sweet. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.